Welcome to Dark Adaptation, and thank you for joining our bi-weekly segment, Missing, Murdered, Mysterious, where we highlight unsolved cases of missing people, homicides, and mysterious deaths with a focus on BIPOC in North America. Thousands of people are reported missing each year. One of those people is Rhonda Running Bird. And the family is still waiting for some answers. We've learned a Canadian woman is missing. Family says they have done all that was in their hands to find their loved one. I just want him to make it home to us. Pleading for help from the public to find their family member. The car was empty, the motor still running. The driver's side door was open. Rhonda Running Bird was born on November 22, 1969. Her mother, Mavis Crowchild, was raised in Alberta's Siksika Nation, approximately 100 kilometers southeast of Calgary. Mavis always held on to the cultural practices she could remember from her life before residential school, and she passed these practices on to Rhonda. Rhonda was born in Camrose, Alberta, aka the Rose City, and spent her early years there with her mother, surrounded by, quote, humidity and wild roses. Their family was far away, roughly 300 kilometers south, and Mavis was lonely, so they moved back to Siksika Nation. Mavis continued to teach her daughter cultural practices, and they spent time beating together. Upon graduating high school, Rhonda met her first husband, Lance Cryer. They had two children, a boy and a girl, and she was a good mother and wife, but the marriage didn't last long. While in her early 20s, Rhonda went to a family gathering in Inglewood, Alberta, and met her aunt's husband, Fred Legrell, a Cree man from Alberta's Sunchild First Nation. Mavis says, quote, alcohol brought them together that night, and they stayed together. Shortly after meeting, Fred and Rhonda left their respective partners and moved to Red Deer, Alberta. Fred is said to have had a history of violence. It's alleged that when he was still with his wife, Rhonda's Aunt Rose, Fred tried to kill her when she was seven months pregnant with his child. Mavis says, quote, he took her, threw her in the truck, and he drove down the road. They hit a sharp curve and he rolled the truck. She almost died, but she didn't lose the baby. Mavis also says the relationship between Rhonda and Fred brought about a, quote, baby boy and addiction to pills and multiple trips to the hospital. Rhonda regularly drank and took pills for her nerves because of Fred's abuse. Fred was also violent with her two children from her marriage with Lance. The kids would tell Mavis, their grandmother, that sometimes they slept under the bed or outside so they could hide from Fred. When Mavis would talk to her daughter and question her about the abuse happening in the house, Rhonda would refuse to speak about it, choosing instead to, quote, suffer in silence. The physical abuse reached a horrible high not long before she disappeared when it took Rhonda an hour to climb seven steps at her mother's house. Mavis questioned Rhonda about what happened, and this part is a bit graphic, so I'll pause if you want to skip ahead a few seconds. Rhonda revealed that Fred had shoved a liquor bottle up her vagina, which caused serious injuries. Horrified, Mavis pleaded with Rhonda to let her call an ambulance, but Rhonda begged her not to, and refusing to elaborate further on the abuse that she had just been through, she left to return home to Fred. 
the heinous abuse left Rhonda with a colostomy bag and severe injuries to her kidneys. In our first Missing Murdered Mysterious episode, we covered Ada Elaine Brown's story. Ada was also an Indigenous woman in an abusive relationship. I talked about how complicated these situations are, along with other important information about missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. So make sure you listen to that episode if you haven't already, because there's very important topics in it. On March 26, 1995, Fred, his Aunt Liza, his and Rhonda's one-year-old son, and despite her injuries, Rhonda, all set out on a hunting trip to Swan Lake in Clearwater County, Alberta. Swan Lake is 94 kilometers or 58 miles west from where they were living in Red Deer, Alberta. The end of March is the very beginning of spring, and it seems like an odd time to haul a family out for a hunting trip. The weather can go from sunny and warm enough to melt the snow during the day to rain, snow, or a blizzard in no time. When the sun sets, the temperature drops below freezing. So it's not really ideal conditions, especially for someone with recent debilitating injuries. Sadly, Rhonda never returned from this hunting trip, and she has never been seen since. This next portion is according to a statement that Fred and Liza provided to the RCMP in Rocky Mountain House, which is a town outside of Red Deer. The group, Fred, Liza, Rhonda, and the baby, were all in the truck when it got stuck in the mud on a cut line. And a cut line is like a cleared area through undeveloped land. Fred blew out the motor trying to get it out of the mud, so they were stranded there. Fred apparently was angry and he took off into the bush with his hunting rifle, leaving Liza, Rhonda, and the baby with the truck. Fred got lost and wandered around trying to find his way out but wasn't able to before nightfall and spent the night in the bush. Meanwhile, Liza says the three of them, so her, Rhonda, and the baby, stayed with the truck. Liza says they tried to start a fire but couldn't. Then they discussed what to do next and Liza says the three of them were going to walk out. Even though they weren't positive where they were, they believed a country store was nearby and they could walk to it to try and find help. It was dark and cold by this point, and they agreed it would be easier if Liza, who was apparently really sick, stayed with the baby in the truck and Rhonda went out on foot to try and reach the store. Liza claims Rhonda dressed in two sets of clothing and put Fred's running shoes on over her running shoes. I personally have never heard something like this. Um, Apparently, Rhonda put Fred's size 10 shoe over her size 8 shoe. So technically, this could be possible, I suppose, because a lady's size 8 is a men's size 6.5, and and a men's size 10 would be a lady's size 11.5. So maybe she did manage to wedge her shoe inside. But still, this is a weird detail that sticks with some people as unlikely and just strange. So Rhonda then allegedly wrote a note addressed to Fred, ending it with love, Rhonda. Liza turned on the headlights so that the path Rhonda was going to take was lit up. And then Rhonda ventured out and disappeared into the bush. Apparently, the direction Rhonda went was west or northwest, but the store was supposedly northeast. So immediately, this means that Rhonda's off to a bad start. This story doesn't sit well with Rhonda's family because they are adamant that she had tons of outdoor experience and would never have left in the cold, dark, and especially not alone. 
Another thing that doesn't sit well with her family is that Rhonda was also in poor medical state. She was still in pain from the recent abuse she received from Fred to the point that a few days before leaving on this hunting trip, her mother saw her and said she could barely walk due to her damaged kidney. Mavis said, quote, the way she looked, no one's going to survive in the forest while sick like that, especially with a colostomy bag. Also, it was later learned that the store Rhonda set off on foot to reach was actually a 30-minute drive from where they were stuck in the mud, so that's way too far to walk, especially for Rhonda, who was in rough shape. The next morning, Fred says he finally found his way back to the truck because apparently Liza kept honking the horn, so he followed the sound. They said that they spent the night in the truck, still lost and unable to find their way out, which everyone thinks is strange that after two days, they couldn't manage to find the Swan Lake gravel road that was just a mile away. Mavis said, quote, why would anybody walk out when they could go right to the road and wait there? It would have been so easy for them to flag down a truck to help them out. You can hear and see this gravel road from half a mile away, which is used year round and experiences a good amount of traffic. By this point, Rhonda has been gone for 24 hours and Fred and Liza, along with the baby, finally found their way to the Swan Lake gravel road. They claim they spent the night along the road and Rhonda has now been gone for 48 hours. The next day, Liza said they flagged down a passing utility truck and used the driver's cell phone to call a relative to come and get them. Now, remember, this is 1995, so not everyone has a cell phone. They're probably actually lucky that this utility truck driver did have one. So when they arrived back in town, Fred asked a relative to report Rhonda missing to the police. He claims he then went with a different relative to try and get the truck out of the mud. With Rhonda missing, police want to get out to the area to see this scene for themselves. But Liza told the police she didn't know how to get to where the truck was stuck, so she couldn't take them. The police wanted to talk to Fred and have him take them out to the scene, but he had disappeared, supposedly with that relative, to return to the scene on his own. It has now been three days since Rhonda vanished. On day four of her disappearance, police finally locate Fred, and he leads them to the area where the truck was stuck or still is stuck. I'm not sure on that detail. Police deploy a search and rescue team consisting of professional search and rescue personnel and tracker dogs. Meanwhile, Mavis and the rest of Rhonda's family learned she was missing when they saw it on the news. They had been trying to reach her for about a week by that point, and Rhonda's family members arrived at the scene where an officer from the Rocky Mountain House RCMP was leading the investigation. According to Mavis, quote, the officer said, your daughter must be in Edmonton, just getting drunk. Ever since that time, I never wanted anything to do with them, end quote. The comment angered Rhonda's brother, Keith, as well, who later said, quote, you know, they just thought, oh, it's another native case. This was and still is the situation in many instances, and it's a sad and unfair reality for many families of missing Indigenous people. The police, especially the RCMP, have a horrible track record of dismissing missing Indigenous people as, quote, drunks or, quote, people who've run off to the city on a bender, that sort of thing. It's lazy and irresponsible, but it is common.
The search and rescue team didn't find Rhonda, but they did find an unused colostomy bag, a shoe, a pair of glasses, and a set of clothes that would have been in the area near the truck or where the truck was. Because again, I'm not sure if the truck was still there. Rhonda's brother, Keith, confirms the glasses belong to Rhonda, and Mavis confirms the shoe is Rhonda's. But police say none of the things found belong to Rhonda. This is obviously frustrating to the family because, number one, who knows better, Mavis and Keith or the police? Two, Mavis said she knows that it was Rhonda's shoe because, quote, as a little girl and growing up, she always tied her shoe in a certain way. And that's how this shoe was tied. And the third thing is, if these belongings truly weren't Rhonda's and no one else claimed them, then whose belongings were these? And they were found right near the truck, so there's only a couple of people's that they could have been. But the police really didn't seem to want to investigate these. The search continues for several days with no further signs of Rhonda. The medical examiner decides that Rhonda could not have survived the weather conditions. She's sadly presumed dead, and the search is called off. Mavis, Rhonda's stepfather, and other members of her family began searching the area on their own, adamant that they could find Rhonda, or at least some clues as to where she went. Conducting searches in this area proved difficult. The terrain is very rugged and varying, and the weather can be harsh and unpredictable. The family quickly brought on a search coordinator to help them better utilize a team in this area, and for years, they worked together to conduct organized searches. After many searches, the team has never found Rhonda's remains or any clues as to her whereabouts. The police work pertaining to Rhonda's disappearance is less than stellar. The RCMP did search the area, but denied important belongings recovered from the potential crime scene were Rhonda's, telling the family they weren't hers and declining to investigate them. The RCMP examined the Love Rhonda note that Liza and Fred claimed Rhonda wrote and left behind. The note indicated that Rhonda was going to Cow Lake, Alberta, and it was signed Love Rhonda, with two hearts drawn around the name. Now, Cow Lake is approximately 20 kilometers or 12 miles away from the truck as the crow flies, and it doesn't appear looking at Google Maps that this is a feasible journey through the rough terrain. Even when you're looking at Google Maps, it instead directs you around the rough terrain, sort of like in this circular pattern, not through it. Also, Liza said Rhonda left the truck and headed north to look for the country store. So why would she leave a note that says she's going to Cow Lake? The RCMP seemed to agree that it didn't totally add up or make sense because they requested a handwriting sample from Fred to compare to the note. Mavis said, quote, and you know what they told us about the note? That Fred and Rhonda had the same handwriting. End quote. Like, hello, they don't have the same handwriting. Obviously, Fred forged the note. This is pretty ridiculous. And it's something that just makes you go like how to cop out of investigating 101 to say that the suspect and the victim just have the same handwriting that's all nothing to see here it's very unusual for two people to have the exact same handwriting so they're obviously just saying this so they don't have to further look at it so keith and mavis 
had been adamant that the glasses found were Rhonda's. So the RCMP did investigate this. Now, in a 1995 letter to the family sent by Sergeant Dan Lyon and another officer of the Rocky Mountain House RCMP, they said they compared the eyeglass prescription with Rhonda's optometrist records and, quote, they are not Rhonda's and are not even close to her prescription, end quote. So about this part in the letter, Mavis said investigators had consulted with an optometrist that Rhonda was no longer seeing by the time of her disappearance, and they were comparing the glasses to an old prescription. Mavis and the family tried telling them this, but they refused to compare the glasses with Rhonda's up-to-date prescription, instead choosing to stick with their theory that the glasses could not possibly be Rhonda's because the prescriptions were different. That 1995 letter from the RCMP said that there was a criminal possibility in the case. Quote, We may ask Fred Legrell to submit to a polygraph examination as there is a remote possibility that we don't have the whole truth. End quote. So that's what the letter reads. So Fred never took the polygraph test. And in 2016, so 21 years after the letter said that he might have had something to do with Rhonda's disappearance, Mavis said, quote, he drank himself to death. So both Rocky Mountain House RCMP and the Calgary Police Service have handled Rhonda's case, and they've both identified a person of interest, but, quote, that person has since passed away. So it appears the person of interest in Rhonda's disappearance has always been Fred, but the various investigative agencies either never had concrete leads to go on or failed to hold Fred accountable for whatever reason. Like that could be bad police work, lackadaisical police work, presumptive police work, or maybe all of the above. So Mavis has always known that Fred was responsible for whatever fate her daughter met. She said, quote, when I seen it on the news, I knew right away that he killed her. Keith, so Rhonda's brother, claims Rhonda was gathering evidence to charge Fred with assault, but he found out shortly before she vanished. It's information like this that points to a potential motive and backs up Mavis's belief. In case you are wondering about Rhonda's three kids, on May 25th, 1995, so that's two months after Rhonda disappeared, an Alberta court awarded Mavis custody of the two children Rhonda shared with Lance Cryer, her first husband. Sadly, Lance later passed after being beaten to death. So this story is just filled with so many tragedies. Fred gave the baby he had with Rhonda to his aunt, and it is unknown if this was Liza or a different aunt. The kids are now grown, and Rhonda's daughter has children of her own, but she continues to struggle with the loss of her mother. The son Rhonda shared with Fred holds some anger about the disappearance of his mother. Mavis said, quote, I'll hug him and I'll say, it's okay. Just talk about what you know. You were with your dad. You had to know what happened to your mommy. And he said, no, I don't want to talk about it. He gives it a real cold shoulder, end quote. It's unimaginable what Rhonda's children have gone through, growing up without their mother and later without their respective fathers. They have families and children of their own, and it must be so devastating that their mother didn't get to watch her children grow up let alone now missing out on her grandchildren's lives. For Keith Runningbird, 
he said he's had no closure. Quote, I know I'll never see my sister. I'll never get to say hi. I'll never get to hear her laugh. I'll never get to hear her say, I love you, or I'll see you next time. It's, quote, I'll see you next time because, quote, in the Blackfoot language, there is no word for goodbye. Mavis Crowchild says she still wakes up every morning wondering about her daughter. Despite numerous searches over the years, no sign of Rhonda Running Bird has ever been found. The family believes Rhonda was murdered. They believe they know who did it, but no charges have been laid because there's no proof of what happened to her and definitely not enough evidence to determine whether her disappearance involved foul play. An annual memorial service is held on Sudtaina Nation, where friends and family gathered to remember Rhonda, who vanished 28 years ago. Rhonda Running Bird was 5'5 and between 125 and 145 pounds at the time of her disappearance. She wears glasses and a kidney colostomy bag. She has RRB tattooed on her left hand and a cross tattooed on her right. She was last known to be wearing running shoes, or maybe two pairs of running shoes, and a red coat with a hood. Rhonda is a member of the Siksika First Nation with Blackfoot ties, and she is missing from Clearwater County, Alberta. If you have any information about the disappearance of Rhonda Running Bird, who's been missing since approximately March 26, 1995, please contact Constable Matthew Pepper with the Rocky Mountain House RCMP at 403-845-2882. You can also contact Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS. Or you can email the National Center for Missing Persons and Unidentified Remains at the link in our show notes. And there's links for the Rocky Mountain House RCMP and Crime Stoppers as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Missing Murdered Mysterious. Please share this episode so we can continue spreading Rhonda Running Bird's story. And hopefully, one day, we can help bring answers to Rhonda's loved ones. Call it the missing white woman search syndrome. (laughs) If there's a missing white woman, we're going to cover that every day. Black kids stay on the news cycle for about a day, maybe, and then they fall off the news cycle. An epidemic of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Indigenous women face a murder rate six times the national average.